<laughs> All right. Welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. I am still recording in my car. I am still talking about persuasion and politics. And I am still pissing off listeners all over the country by using my turn signal while I record podcasts. Sorry, actually, I'm going to try to stop that, but old habits die hard. So uh, if you hear that, just bear with me. But in case you missed last episode, uh, one of the things that I said on there was that I'm just going to record from my car for a little bit. Got some things going on. Don't quite have time to set up the studio and spend the time in there like I would like to and spend the time um, just editing and polishing and doing all that stuff. So instead, I thought when something comes up that's fun to talk about, let's just talk about it while I am on my commute. Spoke to you last week uh, about just kind of my summary of what's going on with impeachment. And now we had even more fun and interesting things and shots fired over the weekend. And I just realized that um, there was somebody and something that I'd kind of been meaning to talk to you about and never got around to it and thought this seemed like as good an opportunity as any. So uh, late last week or maybe going into the weekend, um, Hillary Clinton was interviewed on a podcast. I didn't even look to see what podcast it was. But in that interview, she went uh, boldly out of her way, and I don't think she named Tulsi Gabbard uh, by name, but she described her perfectly and made sure that everyone knew exactly who she was calling out. And uh, she also, um, of all people, uh, Jill Stein was the other person that she called out and called them both Russian assets and said that they were uh, working for the Russians, that they were groomed by the Russians, and that those Russians were making sure that uh, she would lose the election and um, that Donald Trump, that they could keep Donald Trump in power because of Donald, of course, Donald Trump is his puppet. Now, just a couple of things, I guess, wrong with this. First off, nobody cares about the losers. Nobody wants to hear your excuses. If you mess something up, if you lose at something, uh, if you have a big opportunity and you blow it, you just got to move on. You've got to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and decide what you want to do next and go do that thing. Nobody likes a loser. Nobody wants to hear about this, but somehow... You know, we are two years and 11 months past the 2016 election, and still all this woman can talk about is all of the reasons why she got cheated. And just the first thing I guess I want to point out is that um, I would kind of expect her to say this about Tulsi Gabbard just because, you know, Tulsi is still kind of in the news and she's running for president and uh, she's challenging the status quo of the Democrat Party and you know, saying things against her own party and, and shaking things up in that party. So I guess I can see why, I guess, you know, Hillary Clinton might have a problem with Tulsi, but then for her to also go out of her way and to mention Jill Stein. And in case you don't remember Jill Stein, Jill Stein was running for president of the Green Party in 2012 and 2016. And, you know, I know that I don't really run in those circles and, and, and talk to people who would typically be, you know, big fans of Jill Stein. I had several friends in the 2016 election who voted for her, um, but I, I haven't even seen her name in any headlines uh, really since the election's been over. So I thought that that was kind of odd, but what, what Hillary Clinton was basically saying was that the Russians are 
using these third-party people and Tulsi Gabbard and Jill Stein specifically are being, uh, you know, groomed and directed this way. Um, but that those third parties are meant to help get Donald Trump elected. And I mentioned last episode how Democrats always talk about how everything is a threat to our democracy and how democracy is the absolute most important thing that you could ever look for in a government or could ever look for in, in anything that's going on in politics. Um, but the funny thing that happens here is what Hillary says is that anybody who's running that is not a Republican or Democrat, that they have no business doing so, and that they are just trying to sabotage democracy. And th that's completely ridiculous. Look, if you want to tout the, the wonders of democracy and just how great it is that the people get to choose their leaders, then vote for whoever you want. And if it's a third party person, then so be it. At least there's someone that you can cast a vote toward that you think is going to represent your interests the best. And especially when you look at the, the dumpster fire that was the 2016 election, you had the worst presidential candidate of all time pitted up against the second worst presidential candidate of all time. I mean, it was a pathetic set of choices that you were left with. And so that was seen as a big opportunity for all kinds of third parties. Uh, I know, you know, they mentioned on uh, Michael Malice's nightshade this morning that, uh, you know, Jill Stein got a million and a half votes running for the Green Party. And there was also uh, Gary Johnson running for the Libertarian Party uh, got even better than Jill Stein. I think it was somewhere between like 2 million and 5 million votes. Um, and the Constitution Party made a little bit of noise as well, comparatively speaking. Um, but for Hillary Clinton, you know, I think that we have kind of we're getting used to the culture and the idea that there are people out there who believe that if you don't agree with me, if you don't think all of the same things that I do politically, that you are a bad person and you are an evil person and you shouldn't have any part in the way that this country is run. That was absolutely absurd even you know five years ago, but now we're at least getting familiar with that. But I think that Hillary Clinton has taken it a step further here, and it's honestly, I think it takes a special kind of evil, uh, and I that's I think the first time I've that I've used that word unironically on this podcast, and I think it takes a special kind of evil to say not only does somebody who thinks different than me or somebody that would would run against me, not only are they evil, but they are being controlled and groomed and manipulated by a hostile foreign government. And that's the only reason that they would possibly disagree with me. But, hey, it's 2019, that's where we are, and that is um, one of the main problems that you also get with democracy. And you see it here, you are also seeing it, uh, if you follow Brexit to any extent, you're seeing it there as well, and that's if our team wins, then you need to go along with it because you lost fair and square and this is a democracy and we won the election, so you've got to go along with it. But if the other team wins, if our side loses, then we spend all the time until the next election talking about 
how it was an illegitimate election, all the reasons why it wasn't fair, all the reasons why it doesn't count, and we spend the whole time obstructing and standing in the way and making sure that the other team can't get anything possibly done because they shouldn't have won that election anyway. As I mentioned before, part of it is also just that if, if you've got 51% ruling over the 49%, um, you've got a whole lot of people who are very unhappy and, and who are in a position to affect the lives of a whole lot of other people just because the, the vote turned out the way it did. So I was just kind of uh, amazed to see Hillary do this. But then the big story was that Tulsi hit back at her hard and Tulsi got on Twitter. She also released a video and said that, you know, they knew that there was somebody from the beginning who was trying to ruin her reputation and who was trying to ruin the perception of her character. And she called Hillary queen of the warmongers and uh, just went after her hard. And of course, now the, the internet is full of all kinds of jokes about Tulsi Gabbard's impending suicide and people, you know, worried that she's about to, you know, shoot herself in the back of the head two times and, and all of this stuff. But you know, she went back at her heart and a lot of people were really pumped up about this and really excited to see it. And you even saw a few of the other Democratic candidates kind of come to her defense. And uh, Bernie Sanders was one that jumped in and said, hey, you know, Tulsi Gabbard has served her country in the military. Uh, it's not fair to, to accuse her of being uh, active military and influenced by the Russian government. Marianne Williamson came out and took up for her. And funny enough, um, when Bernie said this, there were blue check marks hitting back at him on Twitter saying that he was a Russian asset and that he was influenced by the Russians. And so now um, it just Twitter turned into this royal rumble of increasingly absurd and ridiculous opinions. And it was just it was an absolute mess and it was an absolute zoo. But it was a lot of fun and we will see how this kind of continues to roll out. But I just wanted to take that opportunity to point out one, just what a loon Hillary Clinton is. And then uh, just that, again, this highlights one of the main problems with democracy, and that, that is uh, that you are only satisfied if you win. And if you lose, then we have to obstruct, we have to fight back, we have to resist, we have to do all of these things uh, because it doesn't count when something good happens for the other team. Um, now, one of the people who came to Tulsi's defense and took up for her on Twitter was Andrew Yang. And uh, I haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about Andrew Yang, but he has really stuck around. And I think that he's running a really good campaign and setting himself up well. He doesn't have a chance at winning the Democratic nomination for president, but he's setting himself up well to take higher office or, or to, to move forward in his political career if he, that's what he wants to do. And um, in case you haven't heard of him or you've just kind of gotten everybody mixed up or anything like that, um, Andrew Yang, the, the big thing that he's running on is the universal basic income. And he wants to give every American $1,000 a month basically to be used toward whatever they want. His theory is that this is going to help stimulate the economy. This is going to help people make ends meet, that this is going to help protect people a little bit more because automation is taking over so many low skill, lower wage jobs. That this is his solution to that. And, you know, he's, he, I think he wants healthcare for everybody, uh, college for everybody, a lot of those things that are becoming um, much more standard on the left. But the thing that he has really hung his hat on is his 
plan for this $1,000 a month universal basic income. And one of the ways that he's pushing it is he's got hats and shirts that just say math. And I just think that this is a, and this is just a really cool way for him to get his name out there and to get his talking points out there. Now, while I don't necessarily agree with what his point is, just have to look at what he's doing here. And that is putting out a very simple slogan. You know that there's the, the stereotype is there that Asians are good at math. And this is an Asian guy who's telling you that the math is simple. All we have to do is the tax the rich a little bit more and tax the corporations a little bit more. And we will easily have enough money to go around that we can make sure that all Americans have this extra thousand dollars a month to spend on the things that they need and maybe even the things that they want. So all of his supporters all over the place are wearing hats that say math and um, you know, bumper stickers and tweets and all of this stuff. It's a really good way just to get people to rally around you and to get people to buy into what you're doing. A lot of times all it takes to get people to buy in is to tell them that something is simple and that they simply have to go along with it. And if you can get a crowd of people going along with it, it gets even easier for people to roll in with that and you can just kind of go with it. So he's also really run and, and portrayed himself as a calm, rational, reasonable person. And there have been several times where some kind of controversy has been kicked up and he has come to the defense of somebody and just said, you know, hey, I don't think it's fair that we're picking on this person or I don't think it's fair, uh, you know, that you're, you're calling names or making accusations. You know, let's just let's just all be friends. And that's something that you're not seeing coming from the mainstream Democratic Party right now. And it's also just uh, attractive to me because those are the types of people that I think we should be talking to. Those are the types of people that I think we could win over to our cause of liberty because they get the core issues right. They understand um, that corporations have too much influence and they understand that there are too many cronies in government and that, that people are misusing government for what it for what it is. Um, the only problem is that they kind of go the wrong direction for the solution. They, they push for more government and stronger government instead of, you know, taking that source of corruption away from these things so that the people in the market are free to kind of correct these things and work through a lot of these issues that we're having. But I just love that he seems like a guy that you could, I would be happy to sit down and have lunch with him and just to, to go back and forth with him and um, debate our ideas and talk about these ideas. And even in the end, uh, if you don't leave an agreement that, that you can leave as friends and come back again to talk more later, that it's not, uh, I'm better than you. It's not, you know, you are an evil person because you disagree with me. It's not that you are trying to ruin our democracy by looking at someone who's not one of the mainstream Republicans or mainstream Democrats. I mean, all of those things, he's staying away from those. He's staying away from all of those nasty talking points and instead moving toward solutions that he thinks is going to make things better. And I think that those are great talking points for us to get in on and, and great leaping off points just to say, look, this is this is the thing that you are proposing, but let's talk about um, some of the unintended consequences that happens when you try to do some of these things. But just wanted to mention him and how cool I thought that was. And then I thought while we were on the subject, I just thought I would take a few minutes to talk about universal basic income and what it what it means, what it's supposed to do, 
uh, the pros and cons and just in theory how it's supposed to work and why it might be different than anything that we're doing now. So universal basic income, uh, UBI is how it's abbreviated. So if you see that, that's what they're talking about. Uh, they do this in some of the countries that, that Bernie Sanders is always talking about. The basic idea behind universal basic income is that you give, you figure out how much money it takes to live somewhat comfortably to, to make sure that all of your bills are paid and you're, you've got a roof over your head and you've got food on your table uh, and you, you provide everybody in your country with that much money. So um, for simple math sake, let's say that it costs uh, a single person $24,000 a year to pay their rent, pay their bills, put gas in their car and uh, take that 24 grand, you divide it up, you've got $2,000 a month and that's what it takes to live. Anything that you work to make, any money that you make outside of that just goes on top of that universal basic income. So in theory, you could sit at home and play video games all day and just collect that amount of money and never have anything more. But supposedly there would be even more incentive for you to work because all of the money that you're making by getting up in the morning and actually going to your job is going to be uh, essentially you know, play money, bonus money, money that you are able to use for the things that you want and to make a better life for yourself and not just going to keeping yourself alive. Now, obviously this money would be more heavily taxed than any kind of money that you're making on top of that, because it does have to go back into the system that is paying everybody in your country, you know, X amount of dollars a month, whatever it is. So um, Andrew Yang wants to start with a thousand dollars a month as a way to kind of ease people into that idea. And um, one thing that I'm probably going to talk about in another show is that once you get something, once you own it, it becomes much more important to you than it was before. So if you can just put something in the hands of the people, you can pretty much rest assured that they're not going to let you take it back away. So you start at $1,000 and really it, it can only go up from there. It's not going to go down. So ideally, when you're talking about universal basic income, you are providing people the bare minimum that they need to live. One other thing that's good about this compared to the kind of welfare system that we have in this country is that in the United States, you've got different kinds of welfare coming from different kinds of places and different kinds of programs. So you've got one program that is helping pay for your housing and make sure that your rent is paid and that you have a, a government apartment to live in. Uh, you have another program that is providing your healthcare. So you have you know, healthcare for the poor and that's kind of your insurance provider or whatever, and, and they're paying for that. You have another provider who is providing you with food stamps and making sure that you have money to go just toward food. And tied in with that or kind of adjacent to that, if you are a mother with young children, there is a program that's also going to give you money to make sure that you can purchase milk or formula or whatever you need to, to feed your babies. So every single one of those different programs and whatever you've got to pay your utilities. And um, I think there's also cash assistance to help you buy your paper towels and toilet paper and that kind of thing. Every single one of those is coming from a different place. So that's a different phone call that you need to make 
Uh, in order to apply for that assistance, that's a different set of forms that you need to fill out. It's a different organization with secretaries and janitors and administrators and supervisors and caseworkers. All of those things are working for those different people. Um, you've got a whole different set of lawmakers making different regula regulations for each of these. And they all kind of pile up. And what happens is a ton of the tax money that is going toward helping the poor, which is something that a lot of people agree that that's something that you should do in this country and that that's something that one of the main purposes of government is to provide people with a safety net when they, they can't work or can't find a job or whatever, that so much of that money is going to administration fees instead. And that one tax dollar doesn't give $1 to you know, some poor woman's food stamps, but instead, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, say 30 or 40% of that dollar is going to pay the secretary's wage and going to pay the rent in the building where she works and to, you know, pay the electric to keep it on and to, you know, pay the administrator to be her supervisor. And all of this money just gets lost in the size of the system that we have. On the flip side, if you were to wipe all of that clean and take all of that away, with universal basic income, you are just cutting that person a check. Like I said, the number that I threw out was was two grand a month to take care of everything that they need to take care of. So you don't have a different person sorting out the food stamps from the different person who's sorting out the medical insurance and all of this. But instead, you have one person basically generating a check and sending it to everybody. And so it doesn't have to be uh, – you don't have to spend this time applying for it. It doesn't get sorted out. It's not getting split. 15 different ways for one person to take care of the food stamps and one person to take care of the cash assistance and one person to take care of the rent. Uh, but instead you just give these people this check and they get their lump sum and you tell them you're an adult, take care of the things that you need to take care of. And if you have anything left over, then spend it however you want it. But if you take all that money and you head to the strip club, instead of paying your rent, don't come to me complaining when your kids don't have food to eat and your electric's getting shut off. Uh, we gave you the money. You needed to be responsible with it. And so it kind of comes as um, probably a pretty good trade-off. And I think that if you were to compare it straight up to our welfare system that we have in this country, I think UBI stacks up pretty competitively. I think that UBI is probably a better solution than what we currently have. Now, before you start sending me angry emails and yelling at me and, and telling me, you know, how bad of a free market person I am. Let's go back to what I said a minute ago. When you give something to someone, especially when the government provides it as a, as a right of sorts, people do not want to give that up. So even if you're trying to replace it with something better, the main thing that they're going to be focused on is what are you trying to take away from them? So if we were to try to implement this system in our country, which, as I said, I think is a probably a much better system than what we have now, what you're going to have, and they're, they're always going to throw the numbers at you, you're always going to see the numbers, is wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're fine with the universal basic income. That's that's okay. You know, Give us our $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month. Give, give that to everybody. We need that. That's great. But you're telling me that X amount of single moms are now going to have to go without food stamps for their children. You're going to take away food stamps from all those women. 
that X amount of people in low-income housing are going to have their rent money taken away from them because of this program. And they're going to focus on you trying to repeal those programs that are already in place. And they're going to fight that we absolutely cannot give those up because you're taking those things away from those people. And as we've obviously said, if everything goes uh, according to theory, you're essentially replacing them with the amount of money that it takes for them to survive, that you could figure up. Um, you know, it's going to be different in each area, but if you say average rent is this, average groceries cost this, average utilities cost this, then, then you provide them with that amount of money, but they're not going to let it go. And so instead of simply swapping out our inefficient, crappy welfare system for a more efficient, much simpler UBI system, what you're going to have is you're going to have people advocating for UBI on top of all of the welfare that we already have. So if we're just talking theory, if we're just talking what you can write down on paper and, and what it would look like as we write it down, then yes, it's a it's a pretty decent program, um, especially compared to what we have. Now, I don't think that that is a free market solution. I think that people can do so much better with charity and so much better by simply reaching out to each other and helping each other than any government program can. But if we are just talking about moving one step closer toward liberty, one step closer toward free markets, one step closer toward property rights, then I think it would be a step in the right direction. But unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, people don't want to give up the things that they already own. You know, The other thing is you, you have to have a much higher tax rate to support this because to give money to everybody, you have to take a lot of money away from everybody as a group. It's not just the, the, the rich aren't nearly as rich as uh, the media would like you to believe. And people who are rich don't always stay rich. So uh, when the media talks about, you know, the rich have this much money, the rich do this, the rich do that. They like you to think that it's, it's the same Scrooge McDuck, uh, you know, sitting in his vault of gold for the past 30, 40, 50, 100 years, when the reality is a lot of times these people make a lot of money and then they lose all this money and, and different people make more money and lose that money. And it's not always the same people. Um, and so just to think that, that one group of people or, you know, a couple families of elites or something like that are going to support you is just, it's just ill-advised. So ultimately, in my opinion, if you're asking me the free market, private citizens, private companies, those people can always do things more efficiently than the government can. And if you were to instill this culture where we, we help our neighbors because we want to help our neighbors because that's what we're supposed to do and, and that's something that we care about as a culture, then I think we could do much better than that. But those are just my opinions on universal basic income and what it is that Andrew Yang is trying to introduce. And uh, again, ultimately, um, I don't agree with his ideas, but I really like him as a person and I really like the way that he's running his campaign and trying to get himself out there. And I think that if you come across an Andrew Yang fan, an Andrew Yang supporter, um, that would be a excellent person for you to talk to um, about the ideas of free markets and property rights and peace and um, a great person that you could bring into this show just to talk about why it is a good solution, but it's not the best solution and, and that we can do so much better than this. Um, one other thing that I do want to mention, um, but you'll hear people like Bernie Sanders and, and others talk about why 
this works in these Scandinavian countries and, and that we can use those as an example. And um, I'll probably spend time in another episode talking about more about how their economies are so different than ours and that you're really trying to compare apples to oranges. And just to say that it works there doesn't mean that it would simply work here. But one of the big things with that is um, as much as we hate to admit it and as much as we would like to think that we're past this sort of thing, those countries are uh, the demographics of those countries are are much, much less diverse than we are here in the United States. And uh, they're much smaller. There's a lot less people. And the, the people are much more the same as opposed to what you would get in our country. We have different religions. We have different races. We have all kinds of different social classes and wealth classes. And as much as, you know, we were told in school that everybody lives in harmony and that everybody just gets along and that we're all Americans and we all hold hands and sing songs together every day of our lives forever. If you've logged on to Facebook or Twitter within the past three or four years, I think you know that that's not necessarily the case. And one of the things with that is as humans, we are tribal animals. We look to people that we think are like us and that we are like, and we group ourselves in with those people. And we look at other people and we try to decide what group and what tribe we think that they belong to. And, and that has an effect on the way that we view them. And, and you know, it's true. You know that you put other people into boxes and it's part of it is, um, part of it's the way we're wired. And part of it is just that you don't have the, the brain capacity and you have more important things to worry about than looking at every single one of the other thousands of human beings that you come in contact on a daily basis, you, you just don't have the capacity to look at each and every one of them as an individual and, and judge every aspect of them uh, on its own merit. Instead, we put people into boxes and we, you know, we say, oh, you know, th this person's a Democrat and oh, this person's a Republican or, you know, this is a rich guy. And you make certain assumptions about that. And so, it causes us, especially in this country where there are so many things that we can have differently, um, different sports teams that we like, different sports that we like, different hobbies, and it causes us to divide ourselves up a lot more than you would if you lived in one of these countries where everybody is basically the, the same race, they're basically the same religion, there's less uh, difference in the social class and all of that stuff. So, when it comes to these welfare type programs of making sure that everybody has a, a certain amount of money to live off of, it causes you to look at the people around you and to realize that you are kind of receiving their money and that they are like you. And if you're taking money from them in the form of universal basic income or you know safety nets, welfare programs, whatever you want to call it, you are more inclined to say, man, these are people in my crowd that are supporting me. I better get back to work and, you know, make sure that, that I'm supporting the people like me as well. And it kind of has that built in motivation to keep people from just sitting and, and soaking off the system or, you know, the, the welfare queen is kind of the, the stereotype that gets thrown around here sometimes. Whereas in America, where things are so different, it's easier for, for somebody, for anybody. And I'm not trying to just throw shade at people on the left or the right, because there are plenty of people from both parties and all over the place who are collecting benefits and all that kind of thing. But it's, it's a lot easier for those people to be in a position where they can say, you know, I, I'm not worried about getting back to work. I'm not worried about trying to, to do my part to chip in because uh, this money is just coming from some rich dude anyway. And, and 
he owes it to me. I don't care. That's one of the big reasons as well that it may work better in other places than it might in this country. So anyway, that's it. I'm out of time. Uh, that should about wrap things up, but I just wanted to take that opportunity um, just to talk about that a little bit. As always, you know where to reach out to me, uh, Garrett again at pm.me on email. The username on Twitter is Garrett again, or uh, if you want to give me any crypto, I'm on Bitbacker. Same thing, Garrett again, and Garrett again at pm.me is also my PayPal address. If you want to donate anything to the show, all of those things go toward growing the show and making sure that it's heard by as many people as possible. Best thing you can do, share the show, give me a rating on iTunes, and um, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk next time. Till then, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.